Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and, and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not need say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Greetings from the suburbs. We had so much fun driving in today as a family, recalling stories of when we used to live here. We lived in the city for about seven years. Both our children were born here. We've received a very warm welcome from all of you this morning, so thank you very much. I came traveling with an entourage this morning, not only my family, but also some members of our Stanford campus in Stanwich. Can you guys raise your hand, Gina and Ty and Max? Gina explained to me that in the black church, people travel with their pastors when the pastor travels, so where are we going next week? This is fun. There's a phrase in verse 8 of our reading today. It says, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere. This could be said about you, Central Church. Your reputation as a gospel church has sounded forth in our connected communities, Greenwich, Stanford, and Manhattan, we're connected by more than just the Metro North train. We're connected because we're part of this ever-expanding kingdom, this ever-expanding movement called the Church of Christ. That's why we're doing this pulpit exchange today, to see how we might sound forth the gospel together as partners, as sister churches in the ministry. Before we dive into the text a little bit, I just feel compelled to stop and pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the very presence that you have given us already in worship. I have sensed you breezing through this sanctuary by your spirit. I pray right now for Pastor Jason, who preaches in Greenwich. 30 or 40 miles from here, I pray that that same Holy Spirit would be breezing through that room. I pray that you would anoint him, you would anoint me, but you would anoint our congregations for understanding your word. Without your Holy Spirit, we will perceive nothing. So come, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. We need you. Every hour, we need you. Amen. Several months ago, I was sitting in my office at our church building in Greenwich, and I was talking with a woman. She's around my age. 
who lives in Greenwich, and she was telling me her testimony. She was telling me her story, how she came to know the Lord. Her name is Lindley. And Lindley was explaining that while she was back in high school in the mid-1990s, when she was a senior, she, used to, she had her driver's license, and she used to drive around to various activities, and there was a young man also in town. He was a junior. He didn't have his driver's license yet, so he bummed rides with her everywhere they needed to go. And through the relationship with this young man, this 16-year-old, she met the living Christ for the first time. In one of their many car rides, he handed her a Bible. And inside the Bible was a handwritten note that he had written for her. I have a copy of that note with me right now. Now before I read this letter to you from this junior in high school to a senior in high school from the mid-90s, I want to tell you who this junior in high school boy was. I'm going to give away the punchline before I read the letter. Love in Christ, Jason Harris. Your pastor was evangelizing all the way back when he was in high school. Isn't that amazing? So here's this woman sitting in my office telling me this story, and she pulls out this letter that she still carries in that Bible to this day. And here's what young 16-year-old Jason wrote to 17-year-old Lindley. Dear Lindley, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. I will strive to be the greatest friend that I can be. But unfortunately, it is inevitable that I will let you down. That is why my greatest prayer for you is that you will come to know a friend who will never let you down. A friend whose love and joy and peace and power are boundless. The Lord, the rock of my salvation, 2 Samuel 22, verse 47, will never let you down, but he will seek you out and he will strive to give you life to the fullest. He wants to bring you joy, not only during good times, but especially in the midst of troubles. I pray that someday you will use this book to check him out for yourself. If you give him a chance, I know that you will not be disappointed. I think you can count on me for a lot, but I know you can count on him for everything. Love in Christ, Jason. Don't you want your teenage daughters to have friends like this? Young Jason was influencing young Lindley, and here was Lindley sitting in my office, she and her husband now raising three children in the faith today, partly because of Jason's influence on her life. The book that we read from today, 1 Thessalonians, was also a letter, but it dates back much earlier than even the mid-90s. It was written about 2,000 years ago by Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to a church gathered in Thessalonica. And as we see, they heard the reputation of this church, that the gospel was sounding forth. This letter, much like Jason's letter in high school, influenced many, and I hope that it influences us today. Our goal in this pulpit exchange, our goal in this unofficial partnership between churches is it's a little bit audacious, actually. We're trying to influence a region. The region mentioned in 1 Thessalonians is Macedonia and Achaia. The influence that God has given to us goes by the name of Manhattan and Greenwich and Stamford. And these little churches 
have this audacious goal of influencing this whole region. When I look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I see three ways that God instructs us, God illustrates in how to influence a region for the gospel. Three different things that the Thessalonian church was doing that changed their whole region and ultimately changed the world. Before I get into those three things, I want to point out just a couple of aspects in this chapter, and it's that all of our activity in the kingdom is first rooted in God's saving plan, in our chosenness, and in his grand scope of narrative and history. Look with me at verse 4. Before Paul gets into the ways that they have been influencing their region, he reminds them and us of this very important truth. In verse 4 it says, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. He has chosen you. Whenever you hear a preacher say, here are three steps or three ways to do this or that, you have to remember these are not steps of earning salvation. We can't earn our chosenness. Our chosenness is the foundation of everything that follows. God has chosen us by his grace. And then in verse 10, Paul wraps up this whole section by reminding us of this grand sweeping narrative that we are a part of. Verse 10, it says, And we wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see what Paul has done here? He's giving us these instructions of how to influence a region, but he says, Don't forget your chosenness, and don't forget that you are part of a larger sovereign plan being rolled out from heaven by God. When we are called to advance God's kingdom, when we are called to be brothers and sisters in a region seeking to influence it, to grow the church, we're not trying to earn God's favor. God's favor is secure. We are chosen. He has saved us, and he will come again. So everything that we're about to look at, keep that in mind. These are our instructions of how to influence this region, this audacious goal of actually changing lives and of advancing God's church in our region. The first thing that we see, the first way to influence a region for the kingdom is to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That word gospel, it simply means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that God sent his very own son into the world to deal with, to receive the consequences of all of our sin. That when God looked down from heaven at all of us in our sinfulness, he did not condemn us, but he said, I will pay the price. So he went to the cross, and he died the death that we deserve because of our sins. Not only that, three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. He ascended to heaven, taking his rightful position in the universe at the right hand of the throne of God, and he will come again. That's the gospel. You here at Central hear the gospel. You hear the good news. I know this about you. 
It's why when I hear anybody in my area saying, we're moving to the city, or our son is moving to the city, do you have any church recommendations? I say, go to Central. You will hear the gospel there. You will hear the good news. Central Presbyterian hasn't fallen into either of the main traps that a lot of churches tend to fall into. Some churches tend to fall into the trap of progressivism. Other churches tend to fall into the trap of legalism. Both of these traps put the onus on us. Progressivism says it's up to us to make sure everybody in society feels included. We work for social justice. Those are good things, but those can't become the main thing that your church is all about. On the other hand, some churches fall into the trap of legalism, where it becomes all about my behavior and how squeaky clean my spirituality can be. I grew up in a church like this in western Michigan. I learned this phrase when I was young. Maybe some of you know it. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. Anybody ever heard that? Some of you look shocked at this. <laughs> Unfortunately, where I grew up, that was presented as the gospel. But in both cases, either progressivism or legalism, the, the main point is on me and my behavior. It's not on Christ and his behavior. The gospel critiques both of these traps that churches can fall into. The gospel critiques progressivism because progressivism assumes that human beings are basically good and that eventually we will progress towards a better society. The gospel says the heart is deceitful above all things. Humanity is totally depraved and in need of a savior. And the gospel critiques legalism because in the gospel story, Jesus is the one who has fulfilled the law. He has displayed perfect righteousness. He has loved the Father with his whole heart and loved his neighbors, that's us, as himself, to the fullest extent, which is death on the cross. The gospel is this third way. It's good news. It highlights, it elevates, it exalts the finished work of Christ. You here at Central know that. The gospel is preached here. But look again at this verse with me. It's interesting the way Paul phrases it. He says, <coughs> excuse me, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. When I think about the gospel as the telling of good news, it could be be interpreted that our job as gospel preachers is simply to stand up and make a persuasive argument that Jesus Christ lived and died and will come again. But you look here at this verse, and it indicates that the gospel needs to be preached with the very presence, with the infused power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just human persuasive speech. But when the gospel is preached with the Holy Spirit's presence, that's when real conviction can come. It is God alone who can lift the veil and open our eyes to see our sin and to behold our Savior. We need the Holy Spirit. That's why I stopped to pray a couple of minutes ago for the Holy Spirit to be right here in this room. 
At Stanwich, we have a, a pastoral team. We have four pastors. And every week we talk about this, the need for the Holy Spirit during the preaching of the gospel. On Tuesday mornings, I don't know if you guys do this here, Ed, but on Tuesday mornings we gather as pastors and we review the sermon that was preached on the Sunday before. My associate pastors, they don't let me off easily. They poke holes in anything that I preach that wasn't helpful. We review the sermon that was preached before, then we open up our Bibles and together start studying the text that's going to be preached on that coming Sunday. And whenever any of the younger or lesser experienced preachers are about to preach from our pulpit, I always remind them, they're sick of me saying it, but I always remind them, don't forget, on Sunday, there will be a better preacher in the room. And I'm not talking about me, and I'm not talking about Ed, and I'm not talking about the retired minister in the fourth pew. The better preacher in the room is the Holy Spirit. I can stand here speaking to you, but unless the Holy Spirit is taking my words and applying them to your lives, you won't remember anything that I've said today. The Holy Spirit is the better preacher in the room. Anybody here who has ever preached when the Holy Spirit is active, you know when it's happened because when people greet you after the service, when they're shaking your hand saying, thank you, Pastor, for that sermon, every once in a while somebody will say something like, thank you, Pastor, for encouraging me to go home and reconcile with things with my Father. And you think to yourself, I never said that. The better preacher was in the room. The better preacher who knows all of your situations way better than I ever could. That's what Paul is talking about here. The word came not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So preaching the gospel with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is the first way we see illustrated in how to influence a region, how to grow the kingdom, how to expand the church. But interestingly, preaching the gospel alone is not enough. It's not enough to influence a region. I could send you all out to street corners around the city today and have you stand on the street corners proclaiming the good news, saying that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross to save us from our sins, but the reality is most people would walk right on by. We won't influence the region. We won't change the world just by preaching the gospel. We need also to become disciples who make disciples. We must become disciples who make disciples. This is the second way that we can influence our region. It's spelled out for us in verses 6 and 7, where it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. See what's happening here? Paul and the others are saying, we imitated the Lord, you imitated us. Now many other people in the region are imitating you. They're basically describing the early New Testament model of being disciples who make disciples, the rabbinical model. People used to follow around their rabbi who knew the word well. And there was this expression in the time of Jesus that said, people desire to be covered in the dust of their rabbi. You ever heard that before? They wanted to be covered in the dust of their rabbi, meaning they wanted to be so close to him that they were imitating all of his moves that when the 
sandals of his feet kicked up dust, they would be covered in that dust, imitating, trying to be like them. That's what discipleship looks like. I saw in your programs this morning that you have 10 or 12 community groups. I assume that you're studying the Bible in those community groups. That's what discipleship can look like. You bring people in to study the Bible with you. You do life with them. You become disciples who make disciples. That's how the kingdom grows. A couple of weeks ago, I received a photograph that illustrates this idea really well. Pastor David Borden is one of our pastors at Stanwich, but a year and a half ago, he was called up by the United States Army for a 13-month deployment overseas where he serves as an army chaplain. He's seven or eight months into that deployment right now. Through the miracle of modern technology, I've stayed in touch with him the whole time. We use something called WhatsApp. I hadn't heard of it before, but we text each other all the time. We can send photographs and even video chat. And he sent me a picture a couple of weeks ago, and it moved me so much I want to describe it for you. It was four young men, all in their camos, their BDUs, in a plane building in army barracks somewhere in the Middle East. And one of the young men held in his hands a Bible open like this, and he was clearly teaching from it. And the other three had Bibles of their own, and they were listening to what he was teaching. Pastor David explained to me that the young man teaching from the Bible was somebody that he had been teaching over the last seven or eight months. He had been discipling this young man until he was finally to the point where he was ready to assemble some others in his sphere of influence and teach the Bible to them. And the hope is that one day each of those three would do the same. And on and on the kingdom grows. We become disciples who make disciples. Each one of these steps gets a little bit deeper. It gets a little bit more involved, doesn't it? It's not just standing and preaching the gospel, telling the good news of Jesus Christ. It's actually getting involved in people's lives relationally to the point where we get covered in their dust and them in ours, that we might imitate the Lord as we imitate one another in the faith, making disciples, growing the church. But the third step is probably the deepest of all and maybe even the hardest for us to accept Yet if we can take it on, it will unlock the others and we will really see God on the move in our region. The third way to influence a region is to repent. To repent. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in... Manhattan and Greenwich, Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Look what impresses Paul in this next sentence. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The word repentance does not appear in this sentence, but it's really what Paul is describing. Repentance is turning. It's to turn away from our idols and turn to the living and true God. 
if we as God's people will truly repent, turn from our idols, and turn to God in pure worship, we will glorify Him and we will bless the world. What are idols? What are those things God calls us to turn from? Idols are anything in our life that we seek ultimate security from or love from that are not God. May the Holy Spirit bring conviction on any of us right now as we identify those things. What are we placing our security in ultimately? What are we seeking love from ultimately? If they are not the one who created us, the one who died in our place, the one who will come again, then they are idols and they will disappoint. Just like young Jason wrote in his letter to young Lindley, ultimately all these things will disappoint. God calls us to turn from those things and turn toward the living God. That's what repentance is. Let me just take a moment and explain the difference between repentance and confession. Confession is what we did just a couple of minutes ago. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. This is declaring with our lips to God and to one another ways that we have sinned. That's confession. But repentance, as I've said, is turning. Imagine it this way. Imagine that, that other pulpit right over there. Just imagine for a moment that that is the very throne of God. That that is the one living, true God. And I'm designed to be in this kind of relationship with God, facing God face to face in loving, harmonious relationship. But sin, you know what sin has done? Sin has caused me to turn my back on God and to chase after all kinds of other things in this world, idols. Mostly, I have, all of us have, on the throne of our hearts, in one way or another, ourselves. Ourselves. Repentance says, turn from our idols and turn to God, the living and true God, the one who created us, died for us, and will come again. Confession says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And what we do sometimes, because our sin has such a grip on our hearts, sometimes we are worshiping our idols with our lives and with our hearts, and we make confession like this. We say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, you see. We make confession, but we don't do the harder work of repentance. Confession says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, but repentance turns and says, I, I turn from my idols. I turn away from my wicked ways. All those things that I set up to please me but ultimately disappoint me. And I turn to you, living God. I worship you. This is something that has to be done on a daily basis. Repentance. Turn. Turn to God. Young Jason exemplified all of these things, really, when he wrote this letter to young Lindley. Jason could have fallen into all kinds of idols or temptations with young Lindley. Instead, he pointed her to the gospel. He pointed her to Jesus, and through his relationship with her, he was a disciple who was making a disciple, and now Lindley, raising their three kids and having influence in Greenwich and beyond, are disciples who are making disciples. You see, this is how we influence a region. 
This is how the gospel sounds forth. This is why Jason is preaching in Greenwich this morning and I am preaching here. We're attempting this audacious plan. When you pull out a map and look at Manhattan and Greenwich, Westchester County, Fairfield County, New Jersey, Long Island, it might seem a little bold. Maybe you think I haven't read the latest headlines about how we live in the most post-Christian region in the country. But I look at that region and I think about the region in our text today, Macedonia and Achaia, and I think there was a pre-Christian region. Nobody knew the gospel there, and yet the kingdom expanded. And I look at the Thessalonian church and how they influenced their region in the world, and then I look at this church and I say, why not us? Why not us? Preach the gospel. Become disciples who make disciples. And every day, repent. Turn to God. With these activities, we will influence our region. We will expand God's church in our time. I'm motivated by this idea. Let's pray right now that God would inspire all of us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the better preacher in the room, and I pray that you will do what my human words could not do. I pray that you will stir hearts. I pray that you will lift the veil. If there's anybody in this room who has not repented, has not turned from their idols and turned towards you, I pray that you would do that in their life right now in this moment or in the coming hours and days. Turn us, God. Our sinful flesh doesn't want to do it on our own. We need you to do this for us. Give us the faith. I pray for this church. I pray that you would continue growing it, not only in attendance numbers on Sundays, but I pray that you would continue growing it far beyond the four walls of this church. As people move to and from the city, I pray that when they encounter you here, they would be fanned out into our region. That you, Lord Jesus, would be exalted and glorified. And that we would reverse the trend of people turning away from the church, turning away from Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and empower us to do this greater mission. In Jesus' powerful and precious name we pray. Amen.